Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is the message John preached at Church in the Woods, Sunday, June 12, 2022, on Hebrews chapter 5. There are links in the show notes to the online panel discussions on Hebrews. Members of the body discuss the verses of scripture covered in the message. If you want to tune in live, it is live streamed online on Alpha Ministries' YouTube channel as well as their Facebook page. That is Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries' teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on the website, listed in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in. Chapter 5. We're deep in the study of Hebrews here. I had a Hebrew instructor actually in school. We met at 7 o'clock in the morning. Such an ungodly hour. And he always said we ought to have homebrew with the Hebrews. <laughs> so get yourself a cup of coffee and go study Hebrews. Hebrews is really a, an interesting letter. Probably one of the most complex in the New Testament. And that is because it's written with Jews in mind. Now, since most of us are Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish, we naturally have a little bit of problems when we read through Hebrews trying to come to grips with what they're talking about, what, he's, what his emphasis is. So we have to take a little side trip every now and then and bring in a lot of Jewish history um, for us to understand the real meaning of what he's saying. As far back as chapter 3, he told us to consider. That means focus your mind on. The apostle and high priest of our profession. Now that profession means your confession of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as your personal Savior. So to bring it up to Christian speed here, what he's saying is, I want you to consider the apostle and high priest of your Christianity. And then he tells us, he took about, I don't know, maybe a chapter and a half as a parenthesis and focuses in on what the high priest is going to do, what the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, has done for us is to give us rest. Now, that doesn't really mean a whole bunch to most of us because the rest we're concerned with most of the time is physical in nature. We want to take a nap. We want to kick back and rest. We want a vacation. We want to go off somewhere. We want to do something to relax, so to speak. 
But the kind of rest he's talking about there is a kind of rest that God specifically gives His people. It's the rest He talked about when He sanctified the seventh day and told us to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now that wasn't just the various things you could or could not do on the seventh day of the week. It was more than that. Remembering the Sabbath was remembering that God has done everything necessary. Everything. To make you okay. To make you secure in His love. To make you significant in His plan. He has done everything for you to make you more than a conqueror. It's a done deal. In 50 years of ministry now, I've noticed that most people, Christians especially, have this basic angst about their life, this basic anxiety that wonders, is God pleased with me? Am I okay with God? Of course, they tie it into various temporal blessings, you know, as to whether their life is going well or not. And as soon as some tragedy or some bad thing happens in their life, they assume automatically, well, God doesn't like me. God's not pleased with me. God must be mad at me. See, what our author is trying to get across to us is by this rest that we're entering into by faith, he's trying to get, it, get across the idea that you can relax. You're okay. God loves you. Whether your life is in turmoil or not, it doesn't change the fact that you are okay. Now after that long parentheses, parenthetical discussion on the rest or the Sabbath, our author comes back again at the end of chapter 4 to address what he called us to consider in chapter 3, and that is the apostle and high priest of our profession. Only in chapter 4 he says, you have a great high priest. A great high priest. And based on that, it's kind of almost, I think, in light of what he says later in chapter 5, based on that statement, you have a high, a great high priest that knows what you're feeling, that knows what you're going through, that knows everything about your life inside and out that reads your mind and your heart like an open book. You have a great high priest. And then he exclaims, last verse, let us come boldly then before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He just kind of bursts it out. And even though he tells us to do that, we very seldom do it. That was the problem the Hebrews had that he was addressing back in the first century. 
even though we have this great high priest and we can in fact come boldly to the throne of grace it throws us off a little bit now even us Gentiles have a little trouble with that but can you imagine the Jews the Jews who had been raised up in the system God had established for Israel that worship system you see, God, one of his greatest revelations of who he is, what he expects, how he acts, what he does, was when Moses led the ancient Israelites out of the Egyptian bondage and led them into the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And there, God gave them the greatest revelation of who he is and what he expects, etc., called the Mosaic Law. And the majority of that law was ceremonial. In addition to the Ten Commandments describing morality, he went on to say, this is how you relate to God in the ceremonial law. In that ceremonial law, he prescribed sacrifices and gifts to be offered. And in that ceremonial law, he also described the one who is to do the offering, the priest. You see, it was the job of the priest to represent God to man and to represent man to God. So he was kind of like the go-between. And in the ceremonial law, God was very particular. In fact, you can read about it in the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah, particularly in Leviticus. You can particularly read all the little details of how people were to relate to God. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to deal with their sin problem. Through all those little minute details, and rituals, and sacrifices, and offerings. And the one who was in charge of helping them deal with their sin problem the priests. Most notably, the high priest. God appointed Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, the first high priest. And following him, he appointed the tribe of Levi, because that's where Aaron came from. He appointed all of his descendants to be priests, to help God's people deal with their sin problems. Now, it's in that context and their understanding of the priesthood, which was at the time of this writing in full effect in Jerusalem at the temple, their understanding of the priesthood, what he said in the last verse of chapter 4 was shocking to them. Let me give you a little history so you can see what I'm talking about. You see, the high priest could only enter into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. That was the inner sanctum of the sanctuary. He could only enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year. That was on the Day of Atonement. And he could not enter in unless other rituals had been performed that purified him 
that cleansed him. All that ceremonial cleansing had to take place before the high priest and the high priest only could enter in to the Holy of Holies into the very presence of God. And there he would spread, sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat top of the chest of God. Now, the whole issue with that in the Jewish mind was this guy is going to take care of my sin problem. This guy is going to figure out how I can make it in a healthy relationship between me and God. The high priest was the only one that could do that. And he could only do it on once a year. If anybody else, and there were people historically, tried to go into the Holy of Holies besides the high priest without going through the ritual, they were instantly killed by the presence of God. That's why it became custom for the high priest's garments to have little bells on the end of it. Because when he was moving around, they could hear those bells tingling. Tinkling. And if, if those bells stopped, they knew he was dead. They also tied a little rope around his ankle. Because if he died in there, ain't nobody going to go in and get him. So they'd drag him out. They're broke. So saying to Jews, come boldly before the throne of grace is like telling a Jew to go into the Holy of Holies in the very presence of God. It would be a shocking thing. Are you kidding me? Go in there? I can't go in there. You gotta be kidding me. That's the presence of God. I could die in there. Now we might think it's strange, or maybe even in the Gentile mind, we might consider it to be superstitious the way they felt about that. But we do the same thing. Did you know that? Oh yeah. We Christians do the same thing. I've seen it repeatedly. I've seen that shock look on Christians' faces over and over and over again. For 50 years I've seen Christians who are just as shocked as these Hebrews. Well, what shocks them? Well, you know, they got a problem. They've got issues they're trying to sort out. They've got problems. They've got emotional issues. They've got personal problems, etc. So they come to the pastor with their problems. And I, being a good pastor, will listen to their problems. But then I ask them this fundamental question. What is God telling you to do about your problem? 
What's he telling you? And I get this shocked look on Christians' faces like they don't know who I'm talking about. What is God telling you? What does He want you to do? You mean God talks to me? That's strange, isn't it? That's as strange as going into the Holy of Holies. You mean God communicates with me? No, that can't be true. Let me go to the preacher. He's closer to God. But he ain't God. Let me go to my next door neighbor. They go to church a lot. But they ain't God. Let me go to some counselor. Oh, he's a Christian counselor, but he ain't God. They'll tell me what to do. Why do they do that? Why not go boldly to the throne of grace into God's presence Himself and find out what to do? I'm afraid. I'm scared. God won't listen to me. Or maybe I'll die if I go in there. Which actually is translated more appropriately, maybe I will enter in to some kind of deal that God wants me to do that I don't want to do. Hmm? Maybe he'll tell me if I talk to him. Maybe he'll tell me something I don't want to hear. No, I can't go in there. See, I can blow off the preacher. I can blow off my neighbor. I can blow off the counselor. But God, I might not be able to live if I blow him off. So I don't want to listen to him. I don't go in there. I don't want to talk. Now, the author of Hebrews knew that kind of response. He knew he was going to get that kind of response. I don't think it was any shock to him when he, he envisioned the looks on people's faces when he said, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. They would look at him like and shake their heads. You've got to be kidding me. So he goes on in chapter 5 with a little more encouragement for him. He said, now look, and I'm just going to read these ten verses to you. Kind of bear with me because you might not understand and grasp everything in that. But this is his response to a shocked look. He says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed about with, with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. 
Now, let me just comment here. These are kind of the qualifications for what a high priest does and who can be a high priest. Okay? They're taken from among men. They're identified with humanity. They're just the same as anybody else. They know what everybody feels like because they themselves have all kinds of issues. But they are called of God. Like Aaron was to be a high priest. So also Christ. The Messiah. We know Him as Jesus. So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made a high priest. But He that said unto Him, Thou art My Son, today have I begotten Thee. As He saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever ever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know that may be a little hard for you to understand, but all he's doing here is proving that the Messiah, Christ, Jesus, is a qualified high priest. That's all he's proving. And he's proving it by comparing two scriptures from the Old Testament. The second psalm, in which he says and quotes, Thou art my son. Who's saying that? God. God is saying, You are my son. And he goes on to say, Although you are my son, I have begotten you today. In other words, I brought you into the present. That's talking about the incarnation of Jesus into this world as the Son of God. And the second scripture, again in the Psalms, is Psalm 110, where he says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, those two scriptures prove that Jesus was appointed of God as a priest, a high priest. That's all we're going to talk about right now. He was appointed by God as a high priest. And so, he goes on to illustrate in verse 7, who in the days of His flesh, that is when Jesus was here in the flesh, having made Him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, He took on upon Himself the sinful flesh of humanity In the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death, and was heard in that He feared. In other words, He's talking about Jesus as our High Priest, taking on all our infirmities, our weaknesses of the flesh, and dealing with it with His Father, with God. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what our author has done here is simply prove from the Scriptures that Jesus is our high priest. It's the same thing he was talking about back in chapter 4 when he says he's a great high priest. 
And back in chapter 3, when he says he is the apostle and high priest of our profession. So what is he wanting us to understand here? He's wanting us to get our eyes off ourselves in dealing with our sin problem and all our problems as a result of it. And get our eyes off of other people. Even religious people. And put our eyes on our high priest who has ascended into the heavens. That high priest who is doing the same thing for us that was pictured by all the other high priests throughout Israel's history. That is, he became the author of eternal salvation. Now, eternal salvation doesn't mean just a long, long time. Eternal means a whole different quality outside of time. This high priest that you have that is unique and different than any other priest that has come before him is eternal and therefore has eternal salvation to offer. Now, he's going to elaborate on that a little more in the coming chapters. In fact, in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, he's going to be emphasizing what Jesus as our high priest was able to do for us and is able to do for us now. But for right now, we've got to deal with that one troubling thing here that we've been introduced to twice now, and that is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Anybody ever hear of Melchizedek before? Yeah, there's a handful here. Anybody, anybody ever hear of Melchizedek but you just didn't want to raise your hand? Melchizedek. That's a strange thing, isn't it? It's kind of a strange name. Later, our author's going to explain that name as being king of righteousness and king of peace. Melchizedek. But what does he talk about after the order of Melchizedek? Now many Jews and also many Gentiles, Christian Gentiles, don't have a clue of what the order of Melchizedek was. Because they go back into Genesis and they read the historical account of Abraham returning from a great victory over the kings of the land, restoring his nephew, Lot. And he met this guy named, they assumed he was named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed him and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. The tenth of the spoils. Our author is going to talk more in detail about this later. But many people have assumed that, okay, this guy listed in Genesis, he must be some guy named Melchizedek, and they missed the whole point. You see, Melchizedek is not a name, it's an office. 
the office of Melchizedek or the order of Melchizedek predated Moses, predated Abraham, went all the way back, according to Jewish historians and Jewish records, all the way back to Adam, the first person, and was passed down. This office of high priest was passed down from Adam all the way through Noah to Abraham. That was actually an ordination of Abraham as the priest of Melchizedek order. Now, I'm not going to take the time to elaborate on that with you. This comes out and comes to light primarily from the Dead Sea Scrolls found at Qumran in the Jewish history that is written there. There's a little light on this subject about who Melchizedek was. He was a priest. He was a high priest. And he was a high priest ordained of God that predated, and this will be our author's main point here, predated Abraham and his grandson Levi, which all the other priests of Israel came from. We'll talk a lot more about that later. So what he's telling us here is, listen, you don't have just any high priest. This is the original high priest. A Melchizedekian high priest. This is a high priest ordained by God from Adam and the beginning of humanity. And as we'll demonstrate later, it was a high priest that from descending one generation after another came right on down to Jesus of Nazareth, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now with all that in mind, let me just make this quick application to you. And we'll quit for today. Because you have this high priest after the order of Melchizedek, you can in fact and in practice come boldly before the throne of grace. Every one of you can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can enter into the Holy of Holies. You can enter into the most sacred place. You can enter into the presence of God. For what? What do you need to do that for? To find mercy, first of all. Mercy. Mercy's good. You need mercy. You know why? Because even though you're a brand new person who has been created in Christ Jesus, holy and without blame before God in love, you still live in the same old sin-cursed body you were born with. And that sin-cursed body you were born with has that nasty, stinking flesh that is enmity against God that is opposed to God in every way. And so there's this outrageous inward battle going on in you. 
daily. It's part of you, the new person you are in Christ, wants to do and worship God. But that other part called the flesh, which, by the way, is much greater than you, much more powerful, and been around your entire life, your flesh is enmity against God. doesn't want anything to do with God. Your flesh hates God. Your flesh cares one, about one thing and one thing only. And that is you. It is absolutely self-centered. Does it surprise you when you look at today's politicians that there are no statesmen? Those who actually care about other people? Does that shock you? It shouldn't. That's the simple outworking of the flesh with political power. Hungry for money and power. That's what's driving them. Does it shock you when some good Christian, some good pastor, teacher, runs off with a building fund and his secretary? Does that shock you? It shouldn't. Why? Because that pastor still has the flesh. And that flesh is capable of doing anything that any human being has ever done against God. We all go. To deny you have the flesh is pure ignorance. As well as the height of pride. We've all got it. So it behooves us to learn how to deal with it. As Paul pointed out in Romans 7, we by ourselves can't deal with our own flesh. Because when we want to do what's good, we can't. And when we want to quit doing what's bad, we do it anyway. So how do we deal with it? By virtue of your high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's how you deal with it. So we're going to learn about what this high priest after the order of Melchizedek has done to make us come boldly, to allow us to come boldly before the throne of grace, to obtain mercy for our unbelief and our stinking flesh. And find grace to help in time of need. Now both are mentioned there in one verse. Mercy and grace. But they are not the same. Mercy's good. We need mercy. So we can keep walking and living and breathing and carrying on despite our flesh. But it's not grace. Grace is something far superior as our author is going to show us later. Grace is a supernatural way that God works through His Spirit inside of that new person you are to conform you to the very image of Christ. Grace is God's working in you. 
Grace is God talking to you. Grace is God leading you. You see, this is what Jesus spoke of concerning the Comforter on the night before He was crucified. The Spirit. Who lives in that new person you are. It's by God's grace that you are comforted, led, directed, empowered by His Spirit. It's what God does in you and through you. It's all about grace. And that's what we all need. We've all got to have it because we've all got flesh. Where do we get it? The throne of grace. The very presence of God. So because we have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and not, as we'll contrast later, after the order of the Levitical priesthood, which, by the way, at the time he was writing this, was totally corrupt. The ones who were in line to be Melchizedekian priests were Annas and Sophias and uh, Caiaphas. Remember them? Annas and Caiaphas? They were the ones that plotted the death and crucifixion of Jesus. They were the high priests in Israel. They were after the order of Levi. After the order of the law. Melchizedek was after the order of grace. Radically different. So you don't have a high priest after the order of the law. You have a high priest after the order of grace. And therefore he says, come boldly. Come boldly. I've done everything necessary to make you okay. You can come boldly into the very presence of God and receive mercy and grace to help in your time of need, which we all need. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into your presence, I thank you. I thank you for this marvelous high priest that you've made Jesus. I thank you for the calling that you've given him to be our high priest. And I thank you for the work, the intercessory work he's continually doing on our behalf. Father, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds now to that work of Jesus. Give us that boldness that we need to enter into that presence where you are working on our behalf so we can understand, so we can believe and enter into your rest. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Appreciate you all being here, by the way.